You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa, and Boromir. Hello, I'm Saya. Why am I being a sing song? I don't know. <laughs> Are we all doing that? I don't I'm know. Anissa. And I am Forma. Well, before we dive into everything else, this episode is brought to you by our amazing patrons. And do go and check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash drums over flowers. Is that right? Correct. Thank I'm you, I'm always patrons. asking if things are right. You'd think I would know by this time, but I don't. And often, even when they're wrong, we are like, yeah, yeah, it's totally right. And only in the edits do we realize. <laughs> Okay. Um, so what is this episode about? <laughs> yes, what is this episode about? This episode is about how I fell down a rabbit hole of variety shows which began with In the Soup Friendcation and hasn't ended yet. And I'm still on my 34,000th <laughs> BTS video. There we are. <laughs> and, you, and you've managed to drag the, the two of us, but especially me, down that rabbit hole. Because Anissa at least had context for this universe. Oh no, I Anissa's sensible. She knew that she couldn't go there. And I actually don't want to encourage her because it's... Uh, we all have limited bandwidth. Uh, yeah, I have been down the, the boy band rabbit hole, the, the fandom rabbit hole before. So, um, so can we yeah, start I'm, with you telling us a little bit about whether you want to start with variety shows or your boy band of fan. Like. Yeah, I, I don't really. Yeah, I mean, my boy band, I'm making it sound much more intense. I mean, I yeah. never got to that phase of like ultimate fandom and all of that because it's just not my. Yeah, I don't know. I don't feel it, comfortable it's, with that. It's partly myself. not my personality, but it's also just like at the time when I was really into Big Bang, um, as an international fan, there wasn't really much that I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't like able to go to the concerts. Even when they, I think they had like one American tour, like one tour that came to the U.S. like um, during that time, and I wouldn't have been able to go regardless. So it was very much like, uh, you know, watching that their videos, listening to their music, um, watching every variety appearance that I could find, and that was around the time. I don't think I got into variety shows because of them, but I did mm-hmm. get into K-pop because of them. Um, it was actually because of a. I was at the time I was much more into Japanese dramas because mm. I started with Japanese dramas and then I got into Korean dramas when I ran out of Japanese dramas to watch <laughs> and then I stuck to <laughs> Korean dramas. Although I still love Japanese dramas, I just don't watch them as much. And they had done an OST for this Japanese uh, Nuna romance that I was watching and I loved the song so much. And I looked up the artist and I was like, oh, this is actually a Korean group. So then I just and then I just really I just loved their music and their vibe. And I loved them, except for Sungri, who I always found creepy. And you were proven right. I was proven right. I always found variety to be a really interesting way to peek behind the scenes because I didn't have access to um, a lot of other information about like, I, I, it felt like supplemental material to the dramas I was watching because it was a way to like get to know the actors, get to know like and, and see them in like another setting where they were being more casual and like unscripted. Although like I know there's an element of scripting, obviously, but I used to watch a lot of variety. Like I watched many, 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 many episodes of Running Man. I got my sister into Running Man, too. I still remember Song Joong Gi. In Running Man, when he was like baby Song Joong Ki, and that was like he was part of the original cast. Oh, that's way sweet. back in, yeah, he was part. That was like 
he and he left pretty like he wasn't there for that long, but he was a founding cast member and he was like so small and cute and <laughs> and it was weird to see him like because I went back and watched old episodes, right? And I was like, oh, baby Song Junki. Wow. And I watched a lot of like these interview based ones, like with Yuje Suk, who's like mm. the ma- the like master the interviewer, in my of, opinion. Yeah. Yes. He's the variety. he's the godfather of variety. And he's just like out of the really like big names mm. in variety sort of hosting and emceeing, he's the one whose style I always loved the most. We also had Kang Ho Dong, who was very like aggressive and shouty and like he just that was just his aesthetic. He was just very overwhelming as an MC. Like his presence is just really overwhelming. And I just didn't I found that he overshadowed the guests too much and I didn't really enjoy his style. But UJ Suk is a very approachable. He's he makes the guests feel comfortable, but he also like he doesn't hold back from like needling them or, you know, getting them to reveal things that they might not be like he puts them at ease and they kind of drop their guard and then they say things that they might not be <laughs> intending to say. So um, and he's also just like really funny. So I watched a lot of what's the one that was in the sauna? I can't oh, remember, yeah. but they would always be sitting Happy in a sauna. Happy together? Happy together, yeah. yeah. Once they changed the format and they weren't in the sauna anymore, I just didn't find it that good. <laughs> um, but for I, many years, they would just be so sitting funny. in the sauna. <laughs> yeah, you know what it was? Because in the sauna, they all had to wear like... The towels. Um, sauna and the, clothes. Yeah. And yeah, they had like towels on their heads and they had the matching like, you know, like the generic yeah, plain Yeah, they all were dressed clothes. the same. Yeah. Yes, so nobody could really style themselves nice you know like so it was a very like equalizing kind of experience also the environment i suppose must like put you in a vulnerable space just appearance is a huge casual and low-key yeah yeah celebrities so so yeah Mm -hmm. so that was kind of a lot of my early on variety experience so i i just really oh and i've watched a ton of one night in two days yeah Yeah. we know that (laughs) yes you guys have heard me talk about that I think the other thing that I really loved about Korean variety, because I'm not a reality TV person. I don't love Amer- like I, I there's most American reality TV really turns me off. But I think what I loved about it was that you would often get these shots of like all of a sudden the camera turns around and you see this like massive wall of staff. Yeah. yeah. Just sitting in front of the con- variety con- con- um set not contestants why, why was it contestants? <laughs> yes yeah like you there's the set but then like the fourth wall is constantly being broken mm-hmm. because you'll have um suddenly they'll one of the cast members will like point out something funny that like the director is doing or that one of the writers is doing or they'll like shout out the director and be like hey come to me I'm like don't like edit this out or whatever and then and then like you will see sometimes the, the staff and the the production staff and even something that was very different at the time that I'd never seen before on television was like the captions that they put in. Right. And so you have, and many times like what was happening on screen wasn't that funny, but the caption was so hilarious that you would just be dying because you have these like snarky comments put in by the editor, like by the production staff later on where they're like pointing out things and, you know, like (laughs) creating a story almost in captions later on. Or like, you know, you have, for example, like, uh, somebody introducing themselves in the beginning of the episode and then they like flash forward and show you some like clips of later on how they completely you know like it'd be somebody who's like oh I'm really shy like I don't get along (laughs) with people and then you see them like later they're just like having the time of their lives and like going crazy you know like stuff like that Mm -hmm. it's a much more active presence of the um the editors and the director than I was used to seeing and so I really like because it's kind of acknowledging how fake the whole thing is in a way that like I think other types of reality tv 
they're trying to make you think that it's all naturally happening mm-hmm. that way. But I'm like, hey, just embrace the fact that it's all scripted and fake. Yeah. Like, it's but not like we don't know. Also, weirdly, in the like in pointing out how fake it is, it kind of makes it feel more real as well. It, it does. So that it does. It gives you that clever. sense of authenticity. It like mm. returns that sense of authenticity that you've already lost by exactly. turning into a reality show. Yeah, which is interesting. <laughs> how much do you think the variety and reality space added to your liking of a band like uh, Big Bang? I think it adds a lot. For me personally, it added a lot because you got to see them, you know, a lot of times you see them talking about, you know, their early days because at that time, you know, with the newbies and the rookies, when you when they you see them on a variety show, they're very polite. They're very careful to present a very like clean and, you know, presentable and likable image. They're very careful because that they they can't afford to be anything else, right? Because they're new, they're trying to make a good impression. They don't have the kind of like capital with the audience that an established group that's really well known has. But when I got to know Big Bang, they were already so big that they were, you know, kind of sort of sharing more of themselves and more of their journey by that time because they could, because they had a little bit more leeway to do that because then they could talk about like, you know, here's, you know, what was really difficult about our early years or, you know, they talk about like fights they've had with each other because they're comfortable enough now or they were comfortable enough by then in their group dynamic that they could share these things. I mean, obviously, of course, it's still very filtered, but like it makes you feel like you know these people, mm-hmm. even though you don't know them. Yeah. But it does give you that illusion of knowing who these people are in a way that like you don't get just from watching their performances. Yeah. And I think then it like when you go back and watch the videos, it enriches your experience of watching their videos and their performances. Mm-hmm. It it really does. Because the reason I asked that is that over the last three days, <laughs> was it Saya? <laughs> I finally gave up because Saya has been sending me links to various interesting interviews and performances, all BDS, <laughs> that she's been finding for over a week now. And I've been like, not yet, not yet. I can't give it to another obsession yet. And um, okay, three days ago, I, I, I just did. And I, I realized that, okay, first of all, I didn't know the the faces, the personalities, or even the names of the individual members. I think the only person who had stood out to me before was RM, mostly because he was the primary speaker in, in most of the English language interviews um, that they did, did in the US during their tour. So that was fine, but I didn't actually know anything about him either, except for the fact that he was a rapper and he was just designated speaker and leader of the band. That's it. That and I liked. I, I really liked Spring Day for ages. Ever since I heard it first uh, in, in um, what was what was the what was Sisyphus. the drama? Sisyphus, which yeah. I didn't even realize until you told me like two days I ago. I realized because they had a big BTS poster <laughs> that Park Shin found in her apocalyptic yeah. world, and she's the, and she was just skipping through like this desolate space, listening to Spring Day, and I was like, okay, I'm so the song works for me, and. It's such a good song. Right? It's my favorite of their songs. And, and I think Boy With Love was the other song that I knew. But aside from a few of these songs, I didn't actually know anything about the members. I've seen their performances. It's so vibrant and like deliciously choreographed. How can you not? But now, three days later, I know their real names. I know their stage <laughs> names. I know their individual personalities. I know way too much about what their time as like new rookies was. But most of all, now that I now that I go back and watch their performances, their individual performances stands out to me. The expressions on their face 
makes a whole new world of sense to me. And it's just, it's, it's bizarre how much I, how much more I'm enjoying the performances now that I know them as individuals as much as you can know mm. celebrities in three days. <laughs> But I think, you know, that's such a smart kind of marketing strategy. I don't know who came up with this or like when it started. It must have been in the 90s with like H.O.T. and, mm. you know, Sex Keys and what was the other one? Uh, anyway, those groups in the 90s that were like super, super popular and that kind of seeing their music and then also kind of having them perform on variety shows because they are performing. I think what's like very um, interesting and kind of addictive about these variety show performances is that they acknowledge they're performing. Mm. You know, they come on and they're like, oh, like I practiced this special talent because I knew you were going to ask me. And then they're like, okay, like they call it a kangi, like a like an individual talent, basically like something. And, and often it's something like really dumb. Like they can make the sound of dropping water with their mouth or something, you know, but they make them do <laughs> it. the radish. That's what you want to say, right? Exactly. Okay, let me, let me make the reference. In your yes. beautiful Huang Tae Kyung, the lead of the band, <laughs> would peel radish with his teeth. That was his major <laughs> trick. So cool. <laughs> I love how in the show, it's like so traumatic that it just goes to a black screen. We don't even see it. <laughs> And how they're like, they're, they're the old tapes. What happened to the radish? Why did the fit go black? It was so bad. His dignity couldn't withstand it. You know how like Jeremy hid the videos and he'd take them out when he was feeling down just to watch it. He was like, yeah, that was such a good... Uh, but it, it's realistic, right? That is the level of talent that they right. would be on display. Because mm, it is all like, it's trying to get publicity for people to be interested in you and mm. to be like, oh, well, that sounds good. Let me check out their music. Right. Something and that will make people talk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, like they would talk and like, I used to find it so weird, like when they would be on these variety shows and be like, oh, like you were trending, you know, for this thing. And you're like, I was like, really? They're talking about <laughs> trending on the internet? But like, it makes a big difference, right? Because it shows like, it's like a, a form of capital, you, mm. you know, in, in like, It's cultural capital to yeah. be like, oh, this person was trending. And then that actually translates into like ad money for or like contracts and like projects and, you know, CFs. Like, mm. so it's not as ephemeral as you might think. Like, oh, I did this one thing on a variety show and then everybody was talking about it the next day mm. and I was trending on Naver. Hello, listeners. I hope you've been enjoying the episode so far. I bring you a little interruption because we must thank our sponsor, Kensington who brings you their latest release, A Ghost in Shining Armor by Therese Bihari. In this romantic comedy, a woman with a supernatural talent is haunted by one persistent spirit and a seductive, impossible love. Gemma Daniels has never been quite the down-to-earth woman her adoptive parents raised her to be. She even has a unique gift. She can see ghosts, and she likes helping them settle their unfinished businesses. But. The stranger she impulsively kisses on a bed is not only a phantom, he is determined to help her. And the only way Gemma can explain his presence is to start pretending that they are a real-life couple. Levi Walker lived and died to save his sister. Now he's got a second chance at life if he assists Gemma in reuniting with her long-lost sibling, and then never sees Gemma again. 
but as he starts to enjoy her irrepressible personality, he begins to find it very hard to abide by any rules at all. So Gemma is falling for a ghost with a dilemma, while Levi must decide what loyalty and living is truly all about. They must risk being real with themselves and each other if they are ever to claim true love. Author Therese Bihari is a South African romance writer of several acclaimed novels including And They Lived Happily Ever After and the One Day to Forever series. If you have enjoyed the works of Avi Jimenez, Alicia Rai, Gwenda Bond or Irene Sterling, then A Ghost in Shining Armor will be right up your alley. You'll find a link to the book in the description. Like if we go right back to sort of the mid late 90s, that was when I got into the Backstreet Boys as everyone my age at that point was. So that whole period of like, okay, what, 12 to until about maybe 15 or something. And this is very pre-internet, you know, just the only way you could access information about these artists that you liked was at that time for me, it was print magazines. And so... For example, if there was a music show, like we had this really famous one called Top of the Pops, where you would have like the top 10 songs of the week would have like the artists coming in and performing and stuff like that. Mm, So those were like weekly shows. That was the one I remember. But there were other things like in um, like Saturday morning TV, very sort of young people, kid oriented stuff where they'd have them as guests doing those things. And I never watched that kind of TV because our TV window was really limited. We were allowed to watch TV at a particular time. We were allowed to watch a particular type of parent approved program. And like, that was it. That was TV. Yeah. So print magazines, there was a period where I was buying them every week or every two weeks or however frequently they came out. And if like your favorites were on the front cover, for example, or if there was an insert with posters of them, I I couldn't even put the posters up. I don't know why I bought them. I was just really (laughs) obsessed with them at the time. And I, I look back on it now and I can see it was like my special interest at that time. So I just had to know everything. And the quality of the interviews, though, I think about that now and I'm like, they were not deep. They were just so, they were not even, like, they were the surface of the surface. They would ask things like, what's your ideal girlfriend? And what's your ideal date? And you're just like, and I was talking to you about this the other day, Borama, about, like, the BTS interviews versus the Backstreet Boys interviews, even now. Like, BTS are effortlessly kind of deep. Like, they'll say one thing and you're like, that's... Actually, like you'll stop and think about it for 10 minutes and be like, that is actually really deep. There are things that like, for example, Yungi has said that I'm still thinking about. There are things that Jin has said that I'm still thinking about because they're like, they really like they've thought about life and they're talking about those things. So they're allowed to be profound in ways that I don't know, like 90s pop bands, like boy bands or whatever it is. I don't know. The value that we place on authenticity has changed, right? Also, Mm -hmm. like as and I think this is true globally, is that now compared to the 90s, we're expecting a level of authenticity from our celebrities that we weren't expecting in the 90s because mm. they seemed so much further away from us. And now, like, everybody's on social media. In theory, you could just, like, tweet at them and mm. they will see what you said to them, you know? And even the way that celebrities present themselves, and I think this is true in American media as well, though not to the same level as Korean media. I think, like, Korean celebrities are asked to give up a lot more of themselves to the public. But there is this kind of expectation that you will share more of your authentic self. 
and 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 if you are too fake, then people are going to recognize that and they're going to react badly to that. Um, and, and I think it's like also just because like we're all kind of curating our own brands mm. on the internet, like as human beings and with, you know, the rise of things like Instagram and stuff. And so everybody is much more aware of what goes into that process and like how produced things actually are in a way that like maybe we weren't mm. in, you know, the 80s and 90s because we were so far away from knowing how to do that or doing that ourselves. Whereas now it's like every, everyone is a brand of one person <laughs> in some ways. It's a perception that they have built up, though, like through interviews. And Backstreet Boys have been at a level for decades where if they had really wanted I'm not going to argue with their, their music. No, no, no. We're not talking about their music at all. We're talking about the perception of them as, you know, people who have stuff to say uh, to the mm. world. And you can speak through your music, but you can also just speak. And they and their label decided not to do that or focus on that because I suppose at that point, they, at, like when they were rising, it wasn't very important for them to be seen individually as very intelligent. It's a little different, like when you have, what's his name, Harry Styles or Ed Sheeran, for instance. They, the way they created the individual bands is basically by projecting themselves as intelligent thinking artists. And and their fandom really is proud of that aspect of them. As are BTS fans, like the army is really proud of the individual intelligence of the members of their group. That was something their label really focused on promoting and making sure that is out there in front of the world. So it, it, it's kind of like a value proposition, right? I'm not sure that that was centered in their branding. I think it just is... Well, it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing, right, mm. as well. I've only, of course, watched their mostly their recent interviews, like of the last three, four years. But I have watched a few of the interviews that they did very early on, like a year after their debut. So these conversations mostly that I, I watched were like them sitting together and just being lobbed questions and them very carefully answering them. And this is something that we have seen celebrities do in like those conference setups where they're very careful in answering their questions. But in mm. that slow, careful way, that they have, they're also often very thoughtful about the answer that they're providing. And when you're not pressured to be quippy, you are allowed space to be thoughtful in your answers, your individual depth does come out. Mm, yeah, this is what I mean about it comes out. Exactly. I mean, if these kids were not particularly thoughtful, this that wouldn't have been part of their brand and their label would not have focused on it. Absolutely. Chicken and egg. But because they were, and it was clearly a strength, and these kids were intelligent. And Saya, you said this, uh, I think, yesterday. These are all really smart kids outside their music. And the chemistry that they have is unique in how it, it hasn't fizzled out already. It's been 10 years. They've been training more than that. You can't just put it on mm, for is, a decade. Yeah. But right. the magic that they had must have been very apparent to their label from the very beginning, right? It's it's um, so the intelligence, their chemistry, the fact that they've been able to create music together. Their ability together. to work together, yeah. It's like so many things have to come together and yeah, not even just the brand. I mean, I feel like the brand is just kind of like an almost an afterthought. But the things that had to align to create the BTS that exists now that there's so many things that had to align their you know their personalities 
all of the things that you can sort of sum up by describing it as, you know, individual chemistry. Yeah. But just when you think about everything that had to line up for it to work, it's really like you can't really think of it as a coincidence because coincidences like that are... Well, it, this is not really coincidence. I mean, we've heard them talk about how many mm. members came and went. I think they said uh, yeah. like they had a rollover of something like 30 members. Yeah. yeah. These were testing environments. Like they had this two room mm. a- apartment where they were basically, they had like seven to eight kids at times nine, I think more than that, uh, just like stuff. And they, they were practicing the they together. Was 11 in one room. But like what, what I'm saying is, I'm not saying, the thing is, they are not the only band. You know, they are the biggest. And there is a reason that they're the biggest. And it's, you know, there are many reasons, but like at the core of it is, that there's an inimitable chemistry in these seven individuals being put together at the right time with, you know, their specific environment, the people who are around them who are, you know, able to bring out the best in them, the way that they are able to bring out what, you know, the best in each other and to be able to deal with the worst in each other. Because, you see, one of the things that really strikes me about BTS, and, like, we were talking about... um, Yesterday, I think in our chat, we were talking about like who our favorites are, and like my my favorite member is Jin, and like there are many reasons why he's my favorite, and none of them is his face, his worldwide handsome face, mm. which yeah, hundred percent. I'll give that to you because you can't argue with the truth. <laughs> but like the thing that really sort of I guess that I personally relate to in a lot of Jin's experiences and in a lot of sort of I guess my early life experiences and being in that similar kind of working environment of having this group of people that you're with where you live with them you eat with them you're sleeping in the same spaces you are getting in each other's space all the time and there is a lot of tension and there is a lot of friction but how then still does that friendship group survive 20 30 years later because you found a way to sort of uh, soften each other's edges and like when things go wrong you are able to talk about it and figure it out you are able to recognize each other's qualities and recognize when you know one of when whoever is working hard you're able to say you know what you are working really hard and it's also something i feel like although our relationship is younger than the relationship that you know the friendship group that i'm thinking about which was like a kind of a working friends group that i had growing up i was with those people for um, like more than a decade like very actively in that sort of high pressure situation a lot so I recognize those things down to you know sharing a room where seven of you are sleeping three of you are taking the floor you rotate who takes the bed you climb over each other you know all of those things <laughs> like that I, I related to that a lot because I've lived through that myself but I also find this whole the creative working relationship where you're managing where the creative working relationship where the work is sort of inextricably linked with your friendship and like say like between the three of us I feel that that's also something that we relate to because we have to negotiate those things too we are creating something for public consumption and that's work 
But at the same time, we're managing our friendship. And sometimes, you know, there are things that we have to talk to each other about. There are things we have to work out. And there are times where you have to think about what you're going to prioritize, you know, the work or your friendship. And of course, it's always the relationship. Just spoiler, <laughs> in, case, in case that needs to be said. But, you know, and it's something that I'm reflecting a lot on because this is our, you know, we're going into our sixth year of doing this. And I found this really interesting in the uh, interviews as well, the one that I made you guys watch before we started this, where um, I think it's, um, who I think it is Yungi. It was Yungi and Jen. Yeah. yeah. Who, who talk about how difficult it is when you don't have someone to ask because they're you know, usually when you're doing something, you have someone else who's done the thing and you can ask them, mm. how did you do the thing? Yeah. And how the higher they rise, there's just like, there's nobody that they can ask, how do you do this thing? Mm. And that's terrifying. And Agreed. just it's just so interesting the way that they're able to, I don't know, it's... Navigate what, what they're facing right now. It, it's it's new horizons, uh, right? I, th I think what I'm trying to say is my emotional response to this. It's like, uh. <laughs> it, you really feel it, the, mm. the, the fear and the uncertainty. And it's not what people expect from people at the top. Because if you don't think about it, you'll just be like, oh, wow, they're, you know, they must be rolling in like everything, whether it's the money, the fame, the uh, being known, the ease of creating, which just yeah, yeah, exactly. doesn't happen. When the fact is, none of it ever gets easier and that it's really scary and isolating and that when you're that high you know you're not going to be that high forever so how do you come down like and that's why this is why I wanted you guys to watch the that part of the interview which we'll link in the show notes yeah. where um Yungi talks about this idea of a safe landing versus a sudden plunge that mm. And that they're already thinking about this. You know, we know we're not going to be at the top of this wave forever, but we want to come down in a way that um, is like a safe landing, right? You want to bring the plane down smoothly. Exactly. 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 And it's yeah. just, I find those conversations so, so interesting. And uh, this is what makes me really appreciate the these. I, I should stop calling them kids. <laughs> Jen is like I call them kids too. <laughs> like he's a full full grown adult at this point. Uh, all of he's them the are. age of my kid sister, so you yeah, know. Yeah, but like given the amount of experience these I know people have they had, are very mature. Yeah. They are they are ten times more mature than I am. A hundred times probably. Mm -hmm. um, what I really appreciate about them is their self-awareness about their fame, the relationship they have with their fandom, but also their own fragility as artists mm. and as human beings. Like yeah. they, they know how dangerous it would be to let it all go to their head. And they are constantly yeah. talking and thinking about it. Um, and, and what I love, because Yungi brought this up and I hadn't realized they were all expecting around the 2016-ish time. Around the five-year mark, basically. Right, yeah. That, that they'd start that coming is, down. Yeah. Because that is the age, like that, that is the longevity of most bands. That they mm. this is where we start like cresting downwards. We are slowly going to fade out of relevance. And you know, we'll have a fandom. And he Yungi was deciding, like, I'm gonna be a producer now. And then a Taeyong had started acting at that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Because so, they were all yeah. thinking of their future. None of them were like 
you know, disillusioned about it. They were all like, yeah, mm. this, this is it's natural. It's just the natural evolution of, yeah. In, in mm. Within South Korea, within like the East Asia market, they had already achieved extreme yeah. fame. At that point, they were like, there is nothing more than this. So now we do other things. But then the world right. opened up and they were like, no, no, <laughs> right. you have not conquered the rest of us. <laughs> so, yeah. And then they had the 2017 yeah, so funny how we said it, like, the United States suddenly appeared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like America suddenly appeared. And then we were like, what? <laughs> so funny. You know, that's and interesting also because, like, that's one of the things that they have as, like, I don't know if they're considered third generation or fourth generation idols at this point. I guess they're third generation. Aren't they kind of second slash third? Second, they're not second. They're not second? Okay. Second is like Big Bang. Oh, they're early third. Like those kind of like the mid, the sort of the the people who kind of debuted like mid 2000s. Those are second gen uh, up till the late uh, like 2010s. Okay. Oh, apparently BTS is third generation. I just looked it up. (laughs) They're third generation. Okay. Yeah, so all because of, they're third generation, they have sort of the benefit of watching so many of these groups before them kind of come to fame, mm-hmm. you know, rise really high and then either crash and burn or just have like a sort of a slower descent. Mm-hmm. And so they've had time to think about like what the future is going to be like for them. They've also seen a lot of groups go to the try to do that, try to break into the U.S. market mm-hmm. and ultimately not really have much success and then come back. And, and, and then in the domestic market, they've also faded out of relevance. And so they probably made a conscious decision that they didn't want to do that mm-hmm. and to not like to not be too greedy for too much and just be like, OK, I'm not saying those other groups were greedy, but I'm just saying like they probably thought, well, you know, if we have a really successful domestic career, like That's what more enough. do we want? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So this was like something that they hadn't even thought about or imagined. And then it just kind of landed in their laps. And then, yeah, yeah, I can imagine it would be really overwhelming. Yeah, so on that note, I did really want, because we're talking about variety and also about um, idols, I wanted to talk about Xinhua and specifically Xinhua Broadcast. And like, if you're not familiar with Xinhua, they're a group that debuted in, I should have looked this up, but they're they're one of those like elder statesman groups, you know, like they're now they're all in their 40s. Uh, a couple of them are married, you know, but they're one of sort of the legendary early groups. Yeah, so they actually debuted in the 90s. That's what I thought, but I wanted to double check. So they debuted in 1998, and they are still technically active. (laughs) Like, I mean, I don't think that they do much now. Um, But in 2012, they did this sort of, they had had done like a four-year hiatus. A whole bunch of them went to the, you know, they all went to the military. Mm -hmm. They came back. And then when they were doing their comeback, they did this show called Shinwa Broadcast, which at the time... Um, I watched the whole thing, but at the time, like very little of it was subtitled. This was back in 2012. Um, And so I don't think that it was very popular internationally just because of the language barrier. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to talk a little bit about format because I feel like there's, you know, these very structured in my mind. And I mean, this is just my own classification, but in my mind, there's three kinds of variety shows. There's this highly structured, highly produced, very, you know, kind of fast paced and and sort of like almost like not high tension exactly, but it's kind of like a heightened experience where like a lot of things are happening. And those are the shows, you know, like like One Night in Two Days, like We Got Married, like uh, Running Men, where there's like a concept, there's, you know, very defined roles for both the hosts, MCs and the guests. And like, you know, people come on, they do something, you know, whether it's One Night, Two Days, they have to do all these like games and challenges and they're traveling around. Or with We Got Married, you get assigned to a fake spouse (laughs) and you have to do all of these like, you know, 
like sort of Couple milestones of, of yeah. newlywed life together and it's extremely staged and scripted but there's some kind of enjoyment in that so there's that kind of show I watched a lot of We Got Married <laughs> to admit. back in the day way back in the day I was like this is so messed up but I can't stop watching um and there's also the ones that I think really um started with Three Meals a Day which the first mm. Three Meals a Day was in nine and 2014 there's been a bunch of other seasons now. I think there's like over 100 episodes at this point. But like that was very different. It's just like two or three people on a boat in a little like or like in this like small house and the production staff are like very unobtrusive. It feels like nobody's there with them yeah. and they're just doing it on their own. There's no MC. There's nobody interviewing them. There's nobody like explicitly giving them instructions. They just have to cook and like live there for a few days. And I feel like that had started this whole trend of these types of quieter, you know, a group of friends go on a vacation, you know, that kind of thing, which like in the soup is kind of the descendant of those. Mm. And then the third one is like these sort of mission based ones where like a group of people will go to an island and like open a restaurant, like some celebrities will like go and open a restaurant and then like they're interacting with the public. Um, I can't think of the names of any of them right now off the top of my head, but there have been a few. Like there's the one that uh, Yoon Yo Jung did hmm. with a couple of her hubes. Um, I will look that up as we talk. But so, like those are kind of the three that I that I feel like are the broad categories. Yeah, I think it's Yoon's Kitchen. You're right, Saya. Yeah, that's the one. And the interesting thing about Shinwa Broadcast, so it came out in 2012, and it wasn't doing something new. It was still doing that extremely structured. You know, they do games. They have concepts. They have you know like a setup where they all have roles and they have to play out those roles. But the thing about the Shinwa guys is they just don't care. And they're like agents of chaos. <laughs> so they would come in and the whole thing would just be them playing the game, but in the most ridiculous way possible. And it was just like, they have that thing, you know, that like indefinable chemistry that you don't know that this group of people is going to have, but then they come together and it's like magical and they have that. Um, which is what I was thinking about as you were mentioning that BTS has that. And it so like they have this, like yeah, the... like they have this way of just like playing off mm. each other's energy. And also at this point, like, you know, by now they've been together for 25 years. Wow. But even at the time they had been together for 15 years, it was wow. like, uh, you know, almost their 15th. I think that was like 14th year anniversary mm. during that time when they did the, the um, Shinwa broadcast and you could just see the history, you know, and and like they just know each other so well. And by this point, they had moved out of their company like they had left. I think they were SM artists originally they had left SM. They had started their own company. So they had no agency to be responsible. Like there was no agency being like you have to, you know, you can't talk about these things. You have to be careful about this. You're not allowed to do. No, they were like completely free. And so they basically exploded the traditional variety show format. And it was Amazing. It was amazing to watch. Like, I don't know if that's available, but if you can understand Korean, like, it's so funny. Like, I think that's still to this day the funniest variety show I've ever watched in my life. But I wanted to bring that up because it was like early on in my variety career. And I was like, this is how this is like the heights of what you can do with this format. It just like amazed me. Yeah, you know, this is so interesting because it's like what you're describing is the sort of intellectual predecessor of Run BTS, basically. Hmm, and I guess, like, okay, I have not watched that. <laughs> like I BTS just fans. watching it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is why it's so interesting to sort of learn about what was going on before, sort of the last, I guess, 
the Netflix era, right? You're kind of talking about seven or eight years. Like everything before that was just I think this was, was one of the first lead. variety shows that DP- JTBC did. Oh, interesting. Because it was really er- early and on JTBC in that, like, was very era. new then as well. So yes, yes. I guess that also gave them the freedom to be experimental in the kind of shows they were um, uh, airing. Right. And also... Right. I don't think that it would have aired on one of the big three mm. networks. Yeah. And also when you have a group that is that sort of deeply established in themselves, you kind of don't really have to worry about like proving anything to anyone you can just do what you're doing and it's going to be good and you know what's another interesting thing that you know I was thinking about as we were talking about like 90s boy bands and how different sort of like the authenticity of what they're allowed to share I wonder if there's also this like relief for them in like letting go of the all of the sort of tightly controlled public persona that they had to have when they did debut right mm-hmm. like if they debuted in 1998 it was during that era where they had to be much more careful about what they said in public and now a they're just older and they don't care as much mm-hmm. um and and they have sort of that like established group of fans and they weren't as big as they used to be but the fans that they did have were like solid because they've been with them for 15 years mm-hmm. and they would and they would talk about stuff like oh like you know our fans like now they're all like married and they have kids and they're like you know like they've grown up with their fans in a way and it's like a much healthier you know relationship with these fans because now they like kind of have their own lives but they still care about Shinwa and it's and and I've also been interested to watch like these other groups from that era kind of have these like comeback reunion shows where they're so relaxed and so um you know like G.O.D. for example they came back and they did you know that sort of comeback album and they were still doing really interesting things with their music but now a lot of them have had like these long like 15 20 year like variety careers acting career you know like they're all doing interesting mm-hmm. other things and they come back and they're like it's no not as much pressure for them anymore in a yeah. way because i mean there is pressure in like you're coming back you're much older it's much harder <laughs> to do yeah. the thing like you can't dance the way you could when you were like 18 yeah but at the same time they're like That's this isn't one. the be all and end all yeah. of their success and their career anymore and they're just like oh i just i'm getting back together with my old friends mm-hmm. And having a great time and just like watching them do that and have a blast yeah. is so it's so fun to watch that. that. That reminds me that recently I I because at that point my um awareness of K-pop groups was really low. I didn't catch the name, but I was watching this video clip of uh slightly um like a, a girl group who who wasn't who isn't very recent, like she they're established. And I think they were doing a performance and not even like a big performance. It was one of those, you know, like a street performance thing. But this is an established group. And they just pulled out this uh, member from the audience who's come to attend their thing with her baby. And she was like this, you know, this fan, like the, 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 the member of the girl group member knew this fan's name. And she was like, she's come to every one of our performances. And mm. now she's here with her baby. And like all <laughs> of the members kind of get together and coo at the baby for a moment. And the thing is, that is like a real and spontaneous interaction that, that was caught. Mm. And I, I was just, I was so like, just generally happy to see it, even though I have no context for this. Like, I don't know. I don't follow the girl yeah. group. I've, yeah, but it was just so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I wanted to mention, like, if you're not familiar with Xinhua, um, Eric Moon is probably the most famous in that group. And we love him as an actor, too. So he's definitely my favorite from that group. But they're all delightful as a group. They're just 
just hilarious. Like just five hilarious other shoes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I wanted to actually um, pick up on a couple of things that you were saying, Nisa. Uh, well, firstly, the whole, you know, that idea of like your fans growing up with you. It's interesting, like for us, I guess, and I guess um, let me not speak for you, I speak for myself. For, for me, sort of reaching this age and being able to look back at the groups that I liked as a teenager uh, and, uh, you know, as a kid in general. And like, for example, Backstreet Boys, they haven't disbanded, you know, they've had periods of sort of lesser activity and they all have families and they're just they, they are living again those sort of normal lives that you would hope someone at that stage of life would be able to just sort of you know lean into and relax and whatever but they've also continued to just sort of be present in the sort of the cultural scene in a way that many groups do not manage if they stay together without disbanding. And so you also hear these same stories from like Backstreet Boys fans who are like, you know, when I was a teen, when I was a, a tween, when I was a kid, my dad or my mom or whoever took me to a concert and now I'm taking my kids to them as well. Oh, yeah. And it's, yeah. And like that ability to have, to create something that appeals to people across the age spectrum but also continues to appeal to them after like 25 30 years that's you know that's mm. no mean feat that definitely is something that you and that's deserve a recognition for and that's also like part of the safe landing right is mm -hmm. that you kind of maintain that core relationship with those people who have who do care about your career in a way that like you know like there's different levels of engagement from fans there's there's like the people who kind of um I don't want to say true fan but I mean like people who have kind of been there with you in the long haul and kind of are really invested in your journey mm -hmm. as an artist and then there's other people who are like casually watching casually you know coming to your concerts probably won't really think about you when you're not the biggest group in the world anymore mm -hmm. and like I think to to kind of keep that idea in the back of your mind the way they have like is really smart that like we can't stay like this forever but but that have these like other older artists before them who have kind of done this thing where they've slowly come down and like smartly transitioned into other mm -hmm. types of work but still never really closed the door yeah. on the group mm -hmm. and sort of been able to come back to it when they have the time and the you know and the inspiration to yeah. do so especially because you know like they have this built-in hiatus already right. with the military service yeah. so they kind of have to already be prepared for this sudden drop in like yeah attention and popularity already the other thing i was going to add um sort of onto what you were saying about xinhua is you know what you were saying about them aging and about them not being capable of doing the same choreo like in the late you know in the 30s and 40s that they would have been capable of in their teens and 20s this is like really interesting to me to watch right now with BTS because there's that question of whether they will be whether they will have to serve military service or not but also like they're talking about it themselves like they're saying you know I am getting older and it is more difficult for me to do the that really complex choreography that is very physically demanding you know you're watching like a four minute performance and by the end of it they're completely flawed because it's like it's they're singing they're dancing they're it's just so 
energy right. intensive. And after it's like incredible. four or five years, all of these groups have like a knee problem. Right. And, like, and injuries. Uh, you know, all and, kinds of yeah. injuries. And yeah. Jungi started with like a, a shoulder issue. The shoulder injury. Yeah. yeah. Like he had a surgery a couple of years back, but he's been dancing through pain mm-hmm. and regular yeah. treatment for like eight years yeah. before he had that surgery. So it's, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous to expect that, uh, you know, artists who put their bodies through as much as these people do would not eventually just want a break and not only do they not only are these like performances and you know the preparation for it so exhausting the the schedules that these people are on like they're doing it on no sleep and not a lot of food either right like yeah like we know how especially early on in their careers in order to even get the kind of opportunities to be in front of the screen like they have to just hustle like nobody's business i mean i'm sure that's partly just the agency being like you have no Mm -hmm. choice but like they're just constantly driving from one shoot to the next so that you know like they don't have time to breathe even i i I don't think at this point they even question that they that seems and and the reason i say that is because in that um uh, U quiz series of videos that Saya um, had us watch in preparation for this. <laughs> she forced us to watch. Yeah, I made you do no, homework. No, we, we, we like watching it. Um, I think it was Namjoon who was talking about Aram who was talking about how during the lockdown period when they didn't have performances and they were, of course, they are earning no matter what, like even if they don't have mm. performance, but they were like almost feeling guilty for not doing yeah. performances. They were like, is this even right that I am not like exhausting and killing myself? Well, you know, <laughs> a part of me was just going like, this is just so Asian. We're like, if we're not doing 3000%, we think we're like underdoing it. <laughs> no, but I love that so much because it, it's yeah. so built into them. They've been mm. doing this for a decade and they, they, are, they are still like, well, if I am not constantly, you know, if yeah. I don't have a knee injury by the end of the month, yeah. did I even work hard? Oh, no. <laughs> 